As Germany found its forces split to fight the British Commonwealth in North Africa and Greece and the vast Soviet front in 1941, the Luftwaffe found that even with its proven fighters, such as the Messerschmitt Bf 109 and the Focke-Wulf 190, they simply did not have enough to meet all the requirements Hitler asked of them effectively. What they needed was a new weapon which would leapfrog German fighter technology far beyond what the Allies possessed. A weapon that was not only deadly, but simply unstoppable. They needed a Wunderwaffen, and they believed they had one on the drawing board already. The Messerschmitt Me 262, the first operational jet fighter in the world. With a level speed of 560 miles per hour, an altitude ceiling of 37,750 feet, and a rate of climb recorded at 3,900 feet a minute, the Allies simply had nothing like it in their inventory. It could blast through fighter escorts and wreak havoc on Allied bombers with its four cannons mounted on its nose that could almost saw their way through a bomber's fuselage. But despite the promise, one fact has remained undeniable throughout the history of warfare. Any weapon ever fielded is only as good as the person using it. In today's episode, we are going to examine some of Germany's top jet fighter aces of World War II. The first jet aces. Welcome to Wars of the World. On April 11, 1944, Erpro Bungskommando 262 was formed at Lechfeld to introduce the 262 to combat. Just over one month later, on July 26, a 262 took off to intercept an RAF Mosquito reconnaissance aircraft, a notoriously difficult target for the Luftwaffe's piston fighters to engage because of the Mosquito's high speed and altitude performance. At the controls, was Lieutenant Alfred Schreiber. The 20-year-old Schreiber had not long cut his teeth in the Luftwaffe, flying the large, cumbersome, twin-engined Messerschmitt Bf 110 heavy fighter before being reassigned to the new jet fighter unit. Having spotted the Mosquito of the RAF's number 540 squadron, he began his attack, riddling the unarmed reconnaissance plane with 20mm cannon fire. During his attack, He observed the front hatch being ejected from the forward fuselage, striking the wing and tail as it went, and reasoned the crew were bailing out. Returning to Lechfeld, he reported to his superiors that he had scored the first kill for the 262, and was recognized as such in the Luftwaffe from then on. However, history would dispute this, as it would later transpire that the hatch fell off due to damage from his guns, and the wounded Mosquito managed to limp back to its base in Italy, where it made a crash landing. Since the aircraft was indeed lost, many historians still consider this the first jet victory. However, with the pilots and any intelligence they had gathered surviving, others disagree. 
Regardless of where you stand on the matter, one thing Schreiber did achieve that day was to send shockwaves through the Allied air forces as the tail of a propellerless fighter faster than a mosquito spread like wildfire. Many Allied pilots even refused to believe it until confronted with the gun camera footage of the new type from further combats with the 262. Schreiber would quickly build on his newfound fame within his unit, and soon he would bring down four additional aircraft, bringing his score past the coveted five-kill mark, the generally agreed-upon minimum to be labeled as an ace. His claims cover three supermarine Spitfires, one of which was an American-operated Mark 11 high-speed reconnaissance type. His fifth kill occurred on October 28, 1944, when he shot down a P-38 Lightning, again configured to reconnaissance, with its pilot, Second Lieutenant Eugene Selzer-Williams, bailing out and being taken prisoner. Eager for success and proof that the 262 project was bearing fruit, Schreiber was ordered to report personally to the head of the Luftwaffe, Hermann Göring, who could then relay the story of the world's first jet ace to Hitler himself. However, Schreiber and his comrades' success had not gone unnoticed by the Allies, and Lichfeld soon found itself the subject of a very heavy bombardment by Allied bombers. As many as 60 262s would be destroyed on the ground, as well as much of the intricate supporting equipment needed to keep them operational. But 262s continued to be produced, often in underground factories, using slave labor from the countries Germany still occupied. On November 26th, 1944, just two weeks after his 21st birthday, Schreiber was returning to Lechfeld in a 262 when his landing gear caught the lip of one of the many defensive trenches dug around the airfield. This caused the jets to cartwheel into destruction, killing him instantly. Born on May 25, 1913, in Sommerfeld, near Leipzig, Heinrich Barr was enamoured with the idea of flight from an early age, and with Germany initially forbidden from possessing any sizable air force by the Treaty of Versailles, he instead attempted to become a civil airline pilot, but this proved financially impractical. He therefore joined the Reichswehr, post-war Germany's defense forces, as a mechanic, until Hitler began re-arming Germany and he was finally accepted as a pilot in the Luftwaffe in 1937. Upon the outbreak of war, instead of fighting in Poland in September of 1939, his unit, flying the Messerschmitt Bf109E, a superb fighter in its day, was tasked with patrolling the Franco-German border against British and French aircraft. On September 25, 1939, he spotted a French Air Force Curtis P-38 Hawk and engaged it with machine gun fire, sending the French fighter down in flames and giving him his first victory in air combat. The following year, in the Battle for France, he would add two more French planes to his tally before participating in the Battle of Britain, where in the intense fighting, he knocked down 10 RAF aircraft. However, he hardly came off unscathed, and on more than one occasion, he returned to base with a badly damaged aircraft. Then, on September 2nd, 1940, he was shot down over the English Channel, but was rescued and taken back to his base, coming home to a hero's welcome 
and orders to report to Hermann Göring personally. This meeting did not go well. Barr, like many of his comrades-in-arms, were increasingly frustrated with the way the Battle of Britain was going, and after a flippant remark to Göring, the Luftwaffe commander dismissed him from his sight, but never forgot the insubordinate pilot, much to Barr's detriment. Göring was not the only superior officer to receive less than the expected level of respect from Barr, whose courage in the air was matched by his outspokenness on the ground when he saw things he viewed to be mistakes in leadership. Nevertheless, with his skill as a fighter pilot, he was tolerated as he continued fighting the RAF in the West. It was on the Eastern Front that Barr would achieve near-legendary status, as his kill count flying the newer BF-109F model rose exponentially. By 1942, Barr, with 80 kills to his credit, was now in the top five of the Luftwaffe's premier fighter aces. On May 19, 1942 alone, he downed five Soviet planes, which should have made him much more of a celebrity in Nazi German society than he was, but his borderline insubordination regarding many of his superiors, who were hardline Nazi party members, often saw him sidelined in favor of more politically acceptable, but perhaps not as successful, pilots in German propaganda. From June 1941, Barr was then transferred to the North African theater, where German forces were now not only battling British Commonwealth forces, but newly arrived American troops as well. Over North Africa, he continued to prove his skill, time and time again. But it was, in the end, all in vain. For Hitler had lost interest in the North African campaign, focusing instead on the Soviet Union. Barr, like many German soldiers in North Africa, felt forgotten as they became starved of supplies and forced back by an increasing number of Allied soldiers. Eventually, Barr's unit was forced to retreat back to Europe, as North Africa fell to the Allies, putting him in a deep depression in which he lost some of his fighting spirit. This provided Goering with an opportunity for revenge for Barr's earlier remarks, and he was disciplined for cowardice in the face of the enemy. Goering even personally saw to it that he was stripped of any command, but he couldn't get rid of him entirely, as Germany needed every skilled pilot it could get. Soon, Barr was flying Focke-Wulf FW-190 fighters, defending the Reich from intense aerial bombardment by Allied bombers. On April 22, 1944, he shot down an American B-24 Liberator bomber, which brought his total score up to 200 victories. Now freed from the stain of Goering's accusations of cowardice, Barr was soon again commanding fighter units as the war dragged on increasingly in the Allies' favor. Given his extraordinary prowess, it was decided that Barr should join the ranks of the ME-262 pilots, and in February 1945, he was ordered to take command of the Type's training unit at Lechfeld. Such was the desperate situation Germany found itself in at the time, its instructors often flew combat sorties in between training new pilots, and Barr was no exception. On March 14, 1945, Barr claimed his first success in the jet fighter, shooting down a P-51 Mustang. Two days later, he claimed a Liberator, and three days after that, he claimed another of each type in the same mission. On April 19, 1945, in two separate flights in the 262, 
He destroyed three B-26 Marauder bombers, but this late in the war, such victories were hollow, for the Allies outnumbered the Luftwaffe many times over. Less than four days later, after repeated attacks on Lechfeld, Barr was forced to relocate to Munchenrheim under the command of the charismatic Adolf Galland, who had himself shot down five Allied planes in the 262 by that time. Barr and Galland were similar in many ways, as both had a disdain for incompetent leadership, and as such, both had felt the fury of Goering over the course of their careers. In those desperate last days, the pilots put up the best showing of their careers, all the while knowing they were fighting an ultimately losing battle. Worse still, along with the repeated air raids attempting to destroy their jets on the ground, the 262 pilots also had to contend with a numerically superior Allied fighter force, which had now developed tactics specifically for fighting them, their most favoured being to trail them back to their base and shoot them as they attempted to land, too low on fuel to make a fight of it. On April 26, 1945, Galland went into combat against a formation of B-26 bombers and P-47 Thunderbolt fighters. Galland shot down two B-26s, but was jumped by a P-47, which badly damaged his jets and injured his knee. Despite this, he managed to limp back to base, only to find it was under attack by more Thunderbolts, and he crashed his 262 under heavy fire. Out of the fight, Galland put Barr in command, knowing the war was only days from being finished as the Allies were quickly closing in. Between the 27th and the 29th of April, Barr would mow down three more P-47s, bringing his total number of kills in the 262 to 16. My name is Koji. And I'm Michelle. And this is the Japanese America Podcast. So this is where we look at all things Japanese American. We will bring alive the history, culture, and people that make up this diverse community. In this month's episode, we'll examine Koji's unique family history. To help bring this story alive, we brought on actor and comedian Derek Mew. He was reported to be extremely pro-Japanese and anti-American in sentiment. Her husband was taken into custody by the military authorities under a warrant authorized by the Secretary of War. Who was this enemy of the United States? He was my grandfather on my dad's side. To hear more stories about Japanese America, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you normally download your podcast. Germany was now crumbling, and from his hospital bed, Galland ordered Barr and his men to surrender to nearby American units. There was no point in throwing their lives away for a lost cause after Hitler had committed suicide in Berlin on April 30th. However, hardline Nazi officers wanted Barr to press on to the very last, but demonstrating his typical disregard for unworthy superior officers, he refused, something that nearly got him shot on the very eve of the war's end. On the morning of May 4th, Barr delivered a speech to his men, informing them that their war was over. They promptly began destroying their once vaunted jet fighters and many of their records before surrendering in the afternoon and being taken prisoner. After the war, for a long time, Barr, with his 16 victories, was recognized as the highest scoring jet ace of World War II. He continued flying as a civilian well into the 1950s until on April 18, 1957, 
he was killed when an aircraft he was testing failed to recover from a flat spin. Heinrich Bahr would have continued to hold the accolade of the highest scoring jet ace of World War II were it not for later research into the career of one Kurt Welter. Born in Cologne on February 25, 1916, Welter was an extremely determined individual who worked his way up through the enlisted ranks of the Luftwaffe, performing various tasks until he finally gained his wings and was employed as an instructor at the Quedlingberg Flight Training School. However, this was not enough for Welter, who made repeated demands to be posted to an operational fighter unit. His superiors were initially hesitant to do so, recognizing that he was both a gifted pilot and an expert instructor. In short, someone who could best serve the Third Reich by passing on his skills and knowledge to others. Then on the 10th of August, 1943, he transitioned to the Blind Flying School at Altenburg, where new Luftwaffe pilots were taught night flying and night fighting skills. As Germany's war in the air became all the more desperate, many of the instructors at the schools found themselves flying operational missions in an effort to disrupt the Allied bombing campaign, and thus Welter was finally allowed to get into the fight, specifically against the RAF night bomber raids. By this point in the war, night fighters had become equipped with airborne radar to allow them to locate and engage their quarry. But such equipment was in short supply in Germany. Thus, day fighters were instead employed to engage RAF bombers that had been illuminated by ground searchlights in a tactic known as Wild Sow. Despite the technical hindrance of lacking radar, Welter's skill, keen eyesight, and natural hunting ability saw his list of victories skyrocket while engaged in Wild Sow operations. On his first mission alone, he is credited with downing two four-engined heavy bombers over Hanover, and he repeated this success on his third operational mission. Proving he was not just a night owl, he also undertook a number of day missions against the USAAF, shooting down two P-51 Mustang fighters in a single day. It has even been speculated that Welter was responsible for the shooting down of a Mosquito flown by Wing Commander Guy Gibson, the man who led the Dam Busters raid. But while there is some circumstantial evidence to support this, it has never been proven. On October 8, 1944, he was awarded the Knight's Cross for the destruction of 33 Allied aircraft, the majority of which were at night but Welter believed he could do even better. The driven and committed Luftwaffe officer had ambitions of introducing the 262 into night combat. With resources so limited, there were still many problems concerning the operational use of the jet fighter the Luftwaffe was working out, and he was met with much skepticism from superiors and subordinates alike. Yet he was undeterred. Work had already begun on a dedicated night fighter variant of the 262, based on the newly developed two-seat trainer, a project seen as essential given the differences in flying characteristics of the jets compared to piston-engined types. However, Velter was told it would not be ready for months, if at all. But of course, being a proven master of wild sow operations, he argued that he could begin jet fighter night combat with the basic day fighter version. Having already impressed Hitler with his performance, 
Velter was sent to Lechfeld, where he undertook training on learning how to fly the 262, before he began assembling his own small team to operate the aircraft. Looking for a suitable runway, he decided to operate his 262s from a stretch of the Brandenburg Autobahn, one of the many highways built across Germany before the war. This had the advantage of not being an immediately obvious target for Allied bombers, like a fully-fledged airfield, allowing them to operate largely unmolested by enemy aircraft. Operations began in mid-December 1944, but unfortunately, the exact picture of this time is confused, as various sources contradict one another. Some claim that on December 12th, 1944, he scored the first night kill by a 262, when he shot down an RAF Lancaster bomber, while other reports claim that it was on this mission he shot down four RAF mosquitoes. The situation is only further confused by the revelation that there was an overlapping period where he continued flying BF-109 piston-engine fighters while his unit worked to get the 262 operational. Either way, by 1945, the 262 was now fully engaged in the night war against the RAF's heavies, and Velter was using his skills to the fullest. He had to, for using the jet fighter at night presented many new problems that had to be overcome on the job. He therefore worked closely with the commanders of the ground-based searchlight and anti-aircraft gunners to maximize the jet's effectiveness in the wild sow roll. Searchlights illuminated the sky, focusing in on condensation trails left by bombers, which Velter then used as a guide to his target. Blasting through the night air at speeds frequently in excess of 400 miles per hour, the gunners on the RAF bombers had almost no chance to bring their guns onto his fighter. Despite this, Velter had more than a few close calls. In one incident, his aircraft was damaged in an exchange of fire with Allied bombers, forcing him to retreat to his outerbound field. Not quite making it, he attempted to make a crash landing, but his aircraft skidded along the ground before coming to rest in some woodland. Despite the severity of the crash, he escaped without a scratch and was flying in a replacement aircraft the next night. By April of 1945, the first radar-equipped two-seaters became operational, with Velter's unit defending Berlin. These were equipped with mid-VHF-band FUG-218 Neptune 5 radars. However, technical problems with the radar persisted, and wild sow operations were the norm up until the unit was forced to surrender to the Allies before the war ended. Velter's final wartime score is believed to be somewhere in the region of 59 aircraft, of which at least 20 were scored in the 262. These 20 are victories confirmed in post-war analysis, but Velter himself is reported to have claimed at least an additional six. It is difficult to understand why Velter's career in the 262 went almost totally unnoticed for so long, but regardless, with 20 victories, he is the highest scoring jet ace of World War II. On March 7, 1949, Kurt Velter was waiting at a railway crossing at Lech near the Danish-German border when a poorly secured log fell from a passing train, killing him. And there you have the tales of the greatest jet aces of Nazi Germany. Please leave a comment down below with your own thoughts and reactions, and remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. Thank you for watching, 
and I'll see you next time.